Good morning, church. How we doing? You guys good today? Man, I missed you guys last week. We took a week off to give everybody a break, to give our volunteers a chance to catch a breather and give you a little extra time with your families. But man, it's so, so good to be back. And I'm, I'm excited to, to see you guys. I'm excited today to begin uh, a brand new series. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I have the opportunity today to be up here. We're just going to open the Bible and look at what God actually has to say about some issues over the next couple of weeks, because there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff in our culture and in just kind of, you know, just, oh, it's just everybody kind of believes this, or you've heard it a lot or whatever. But the reality is that a lot of the things that we believe might be in the Bible, because we've heard people say that they're in the Bible so much, yeah, God never really said that. And so we're going to address four of those issues over the next couple of weeks, starting today with the false truth that God just wants you to be happy. Show show of hands, parents. Um, How many of you parents have ever done anything that made your children unhappy? Show of hands. That's all of us. If you're a parent, just go ahead and throw it up. Go ahead and put it there. All right. Uh, Quiz question number two. How many of you who've done something that made your children unhappy could not have possibly cared any less that what you did made your children unhappy? All right, right, don't raise your hands for this one because I don't want you to be embarrassed. But just go here with me in your head. Give me me a mental yes, like I I can feel it. Like I got telepathic stuff, I can feel it. How many of you have laughed at your children for the reason that they were unhappy? Right, you don't have to raise them. Just, just give me one of these. Yeah, you know, you know it's true. Like we've all done it. Because some of the reasons that kids get unhappy, it's pretty humorous, actually. Uh, have you seen have you seen the pictures? They, they put some of these on Facebook and other social media things where it's they take a picture of their kid just like snotting and crying, and it's like, I wouldn't let him lick the dog, right? You've seen these? Right, or you know, he couldn't find the balloon that's like right behind. You know, all the, they're hilarious because there's something that you and I know inherently. The reason that we can make our children unhappy as parents or the reason that we can do things for or to people that we care about that we know we're going to make them unhappy and we're just kind of okay with them being unhappy for a little while, the reason that that's true for us is because there's something that you and I know inherently. And if you want to write this down, this will be kind of a big idea that's going to frame the rest of our time together here today, and that's this. Some things are better than happiness. Now, you could insert in there, some things are more important than happiness. Some things are more significant than happiness. Happiness is not the chief concern of our lives, or or at least it shouldn't be. But for so many of us, and what we'll unpack together today, and then we'll look at what the Bible has to say about it, is that so many of us are driven by the compulsion that we feel that the the chief, the thing I'm after in my life is I want to be happy. And there's that that's that's not a bad thing, and I think all of us feel that to some degree or to some level. But there but there are some things that are more important than, more significant than, that are better than our happiness. And so for for in order We have to believe that in order for us to to hear this next thing that I'm going to say and not feel like it's too harsh. And that is that God doesn't necessarily care if you are happy. 
or not. And the reason that we had to set it up like that is because the reason that God doesn't care if you're happy all the time is because that God wants something for you that is better than happiness. And so if we can agree, and I think that we have, that there are some things more important than, more significant than, some things that are better than happiness, what you need to hear me say when I say God doesn't want you to be happy, because that's not necessarily true, is that God wants something better for you than just being happy all the time because there are some things that are better than our happiness. And so what I wanna do is I wanna, I wanna give us three danger areas, three things that when we adhere our lives to the idea that happiness is paramount, that, that all I want, how many, how many of you have heard this? You don't have to raise your hand, but just think to yourself, how many people you've heard this? All I want is to be happy. So when we live our lives through that lens that all I want, pastor, all I want, mom, all I want, friend, all I want out of life is to be happy. There are three dangers that I associate with that mentality, and I'll give them to you kind of quick, but you can write them down if you have time. If not, uh, we've put all of this information on version. Uh, if you're following along with us on the Bible app, you can, uh, you can see these there, or you can write them down as they come up on the screen. But three dangers of what I'm calling a theology of happiness. All right. Number one, anything that makes me happy is right, and anything that makes me unhappy has to be wrong. Because if, everything, if all I want out of life is to be happy, then anything that gets me there has to be the right thing. And anything that takes me away from that has to be the wrong thing. Anything that makes me happy is right. Anything that makes me unhappy is wrong. Number two, discomfort, delay, risk, suffering, inconvenience, and obstacles then cannot be part of God's will. If God just wants me to be happy, then the things that hit my life that make me unhappy cannot be part of God's will. Anybody remember Jesus? That whole cross thing? That, that was pretty uncomfortable for Jesus, right? Kind, kind of painful, kind of, kind of a bad day when you die on a cross, but absolutely part of God's will. Number three, without knowing it, if we believe that all we want or that, all, that God just wants us to be happy, if we believe that, without knowing it, we begin to worship the false gods of comfort, money, pleasure, and things. See, here's the problem with this, this idea that God just wants me to be happy. Is that if that is true, then God exists to serve me. Like God is up there and his, what God wants, his desire, the thing that God wants more than anything is for me to be happy. Therefore, God exists to ensure my happiness. You see, that's backwards. See, God created us to increase his delight to receive glory and honor and praise from us. We exist to serve and to honor and to glorify him. But so many of us live our lives believing that God exists to serve us when in fact we exist. The purpose that you breathe and that you live and that you get up every morning is to serve 
him. See, we, we get it backwards. And what happens is we, we can find ourselves in this mentality of, of God, the cosmic Coke machine. In that when I make a request from him, I expect to get what I've asked for. Especially, ah, watch this, especially if I've given God what I feel like he has demanded of me. Right? Like I go to, if I go to a vending machine and I put in my dollar or in these days, $2.50 or whatever the charge is, like it's crazy. So you put in however much money the machine asks for. I have given the machine what it asked of me. I, you demanded of me $2.50 and a blood sample. I would like a Sprite. So you push the button and out comes the Sprite. And so many of us, we get into this mentality. All right, God, I've done what you asked. I've, and you, you make up the rules because that's how, that's how it works. When you make God the cosmic, cosmic Coke machine, you get to make, all right, God, I've gone to church. All right, I've given my, my tithe. I've, uh, I, I went to a connect group for a session. Um, yeah, I helped the, the old lady cross the street. What, whatever, the, you, you, and you begin to feed this, this, this image of God that you have. God, I've given you all the stuff that you've asked for. Now here are my requests. And the expectation is that God will show up and give you what you've requested because you've provided him with what he demanded. But, but God doesn't work that way. And so when, when we begin to, to put God into this cosmic Coke machine box where all right, God, here's what I want, and I'm waiting. And there's an expectation for God to do that because that's what would make you happy. When you end up unhappy or when you feel like your requests haven't been answered or when you feel like God hasn't done what you wanted him to do, or, or better yet, what God was supposed to do according to, according to you, then you're only left with one conclusion. And that conclusion is that God has failed you. God, I did everything that you asked. God, I, I went to church for three months straight, and I still have cancer. God, I, I, read, I read through like three or four books in the Bible, and my marriage is still a wreck. God, I've been in a connect group for three sessions now, and I'm still broke. Where, like, what happened? And then you begin to hear people say stuff like this. You know, I tried the church thing, and religion just didn't work for me. Well, it didn't work for you because that's not how it works. That's not how any of this works. Have you seen the commercial? The guy code, the old lady. In the, anyway, ask me about it later. We'll look at YouTube. And all of this mentality... This God exists to make me happy or God, God wants me to be happy. That's how we usually hear it said. All of this stems from this, this watered down, Americanized, me first version of Christianity that, that so many of us have engaged with either intentionally or unintentionally. And the reality is that it's just, it's just not true. Now, I've, I've kind of painted a negative picture of, of God here and I don't want to do that. Let me, so let me clarify. God is not against your happiness. 
Like God doesn't get angry when you're like, ah, there they go being happy again. I better squash it. Like that's not God at all, all right? God delights in your happiness. God, God is excited for you to experience good things. That's why he gives you so many of them. God is not against your happiness, but just like we talked about earlier, God understands that there are some things that are greater than, that are more significant, more important than your happiness. And we're going to talk about those, but let me, let me set it up like this. Um, I, have, I have two kids, uh, two little girls. This year, uh, and my oldest daughter, she was on this competition dance thing or whatever, and they, they, did, they did well. It's several of the competitions that she went to. She was the... I don't understand dance lingo. She was like the captain for one of the dances or something, which means that if her group got a trophy, she got to walk up and go get the trophy because she was the captain for that song or that dance or whatever. So that happened a couple of times. They won some trophies, and so my daughter on the big stage full of people got to go up and get the trophy. Now, as a father, knowing that my daughter was happy and that she was excited and that she gets to walk across the big stage and go get the trophy and bring it back to her team. I delighted with her in her excitement to receive the trophy. I was happy for her happiness, right? Now, had she, on her way back to her team with the trophy, looked at the other teams that didn't get a trophy and be like, you see that? <laughs> Suckers, look at this, you see? You should have danced better. Like, if she just started talking smack to the other little nine-year-olds on the stage about the trophy that she got and the trophy that, she, that they didn't get, all of a sudden, my mentality about her happiness is gone. I don't care how happy she is anymore because now I have a higher priority. You see what I'm saying? That there's something more important than her happiness. And if talking smack to other little girls makes her happy, then I got a problem with her being happy. And the same thing is true of your heavenly father and your happiness. There's a way to be happy that honors God, but there are a couple of situations and scenarios where your happiness is not appeasing and not delightful to your heavenly father. So I want to give you two of those. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. Two reasons that God does not want you to be happy. Number one, when it causes you to do something that is wrong or unwise. In other words, God doesn't like it when you are, God doesn't care if you are happy when you're doing something that is sinful or stupid. God doesn't want you to be happy when it causes you to do something that is wrong or unwise. Now, those things typically start out pretty fun. Now, you've heard me say this before. If, if you're not having fun when you sin, you ain't doing it right. But God doesn't want you to be happy if the thing that makes you happy is against his way of doing life and the things that he's asked us to do and things not to do. Those things are always fun, but there's a result ahead that is undesirable, and that's why God doesn't want you to be happy. The, the Proverbs says there's a way that seems right to man, but its end is death. There's always a way that seems right to us. It makes me happy, so I might as well go ahead and do it. Peter said it like this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. He said, but just as he who called you is happy, so be happy in all you do. Wait, wait a minute. I think I misread that. Let me try again. But just as he who called you is what? As he is holy, 
So be what? Be holy in all that you do. See, God is far more concerned with your holiness than he is with your happiness. And if your happiness erodes away at your holiness, then God couldn't care less if you're happy. Because God doesn't want you to live a life where your pursuit is happiness. God wants you to live a life where your pursuit is him. I, uh, I do about, on average, five to six weddings a year. And on, on several occasions, um, I've, I've done weddings for people, and I, I won't do your wedding, or I haven't done any weddings, where I don't do some pre-marriage counseling. So, so we're going to sit down, if, I, if I'm going to do a wedding for you, we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about like, the way that God designed marriage. And we're going to do a whole series about that coming up after this one. We're, we're going to talk a lot about that stuff. We're going to talk about what it means to be married. And we're going to talk about the, the commitments that you're going to make on your wedding day. And we're going to talk about the difference between a covenant and a contract. And we're going to get into all this stuff about what marriage really means and the way that God has designed it to work. We're going to talk about all that stuff in our pre-marriage counseling together. So I've done that for every wedding that I've ever officiated. And then a few times now, I've, I've ran into the couple later or uh, the couple was having difficulty and they've come back to me for some, some post-marriage counseling and, um, and several of them have gotten divorced. And every single time it breaks my heart to know that, that a, a marriage that I helped put together has has come to divorce. It, it kills me every time. But in a lot of those cases, the stories sound very much the same. Well, you know, we, we just weren't getting along. And, and she wasn't happy and, and I wasn't happy. And so we've decided we're just going to get a divorce because, well, we're not happy. And on a couple of occasions, depending on the kind of relationship that I've had, typically with the husband, I feel obligated then to look at him and say, don't you remember? Remember all that pre-marriage stuff we did? You remember? We sat down, we talked about what it meant to be married and covenant and contract and all that other kind of stuff. And oh, remember on your wedding day, like your mama was there, and you were like, I'm going to be married to you for better or Worse and in sickness or health. And we might be rich or we might be poor, but not but I'm gonna be your spouse until I die. Right? Like, like you remember? You've been to a wedding. They all sound pretty much the same, those that part. Like we're gonna be married until we die. But then we weren't happy. And so we decided to get a divorce. You get it? You know, you know why that's so painful for, for me and hopefully for you too if you understand marriage? It's because your happiness is not, that's not the top thing. Hey, look, come on. Married people, how many of you are happy all the time in your marriage? Come on. <laughs> not, not a liar. All right, so (laughs) 
He's a newlywed. He's trying to, he's, that's honeymoon stuff. Don't worry, that don't count. We, we, no marriage is perfect. It's not going to be happy all the time. That's why you say for better or for the other thing. And a lot of times we have to spend some time in the other thing to get back to the better. And that's the way that God wants it to be. That, okay, I'm not happy, but I'm still committed. That's the way that it's designed to work. I read, I read an article last week. This was, this was both shocking and appalling and whatever else, all at the same time. But it was, uh, it was an article about the reason that people cheat. Like the reason that men cheat and the reason that women cheat. Like talking about adultery or affairs in marriage. And, and the article said that for women, it was always like, uh, you know, we weren't connected. It was emotional. He, you know, I didn't, I couldn't, we, just kind of a distance thing in, in my marriage. And it was all, it was very like, he wasn't the husband I wanted to, to be with. And so I, I went outside of our marriage. Like it was very, it was all tied to the emotions. And it was very, you know, he wasn't there for me. And so I went outside of the marriage. You know the number one reason that men cheat according to this article? Now, I didn't fact check it. They could, they're, you know, 75% of statistics are made up on the spot, that kind of thing. Like, I didn't check their numbers. But the article said, and I, I believe this might be true, probably true. The number one reason that men cheat, that men go outside of their marriage, is because the girl was really hot. That, that's it. It's not emotional. It's not my wife wasn't there for me. It's not we're distant and disconnected. It's not she's mean to me. Nope. She, she was hot. The girl was really pretty. That is a microcosm of a theology of happiness that says God just wants me to be happy. And it, if I think a pretty girl that's not my wife would make me happy, then it's okay. Because if it makes me happy, then it has to be right. Right? Man, you must have been as alarmed, as alarmed as I was by your silence. We live in a culture that bows at the altar of happiness, don't we? It's everywhere. You see it, you hear it. Listen for it. You can hear it in the way people talk and the things that they say. You can hear it if you listen carefully. Through, through this lens right, that we're talking about today, you can hear it. So number one was when it causes, God doesn't want you to be happy when it causes you to do something wrong or unwise. Number two, God doesn't want you to be happy when it is based only on the things of this world. God doesn't want you to be happy when it's based solely on the things that this world tells you will make you happy. First John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 say this. John said, do not love the world or the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, watch this, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. Verse 17. And here, here's the problem. Here's why that matters. Here's why that's dangerous. And the world 
it's, it's passing away. It's temporary. It's, it's going to go away. It's, the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So you've got worldly that's passing away and abiding with God that lasts forever. Make a wise choice as it pertains to your happiness. You see, that's why I said God is so much more concerned with your holiness, the things that are of the Father, than he is with your happiness that often comes from the world. And again, God is not against your happiness. It's just not the most important thing to him, and it shouldn't be to you. You see, there's, there's this, this culture, we, and there's, in our culture, there's this equation. I found this. I stole this. So not, not original, but I thought it was applicable. And this is what it says. It, it says that, that better possessions plus peaceful circumstances plus thrilling experiences plus the right relationships plus the perfect appearance equals happiness. In other words, if I, can, if I can look the right way and if I can be around the right kind of people and if I can do the right kind of things and if I can have the right kind of stuff, then I'll be happy. And all those are the promises of the culture in which we live. Here's the commercials, right? You stay up late at night and you watch the commercial. I've got to have this. If you, the only way you're ever going to sleep comfortably is with a Snuggie. Like, 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 the, like whatever, you know, whatever it is. You, the, the commercials sell you on this dream, this, this vision that God just wants you to be happy and you're never going to be happy unless you have this or unless you drive that or unless you hang out with them or unless you look like her. And, and it's just a lie. It's just not true because those are all things that are only of this world. They won't matter in eternity. And if they don't matter in eternity, they shouldn't matter to you now. Listen, I, I like stuff. I like nice stuff. In our family, I'm the spender. If it's nice, I'd like to have it. But what I don't ever want to happen is for my stuff to have me. That where I continue to buy more and more and I continue to upgrade and improve and buy this and stretch my account and, you know, miss payments and all this other kind of stuff because I'm, I'm chasing after this this happiness that comes of a world that I'm not even designed to be in forever. You know that, right? Like, this is, this is fleeting. The Bible says that our life is like a, like a vapor. It's like mist. It's here in a moment. It's gone. But eternity, well, that, that's forever. And so God desires for us to shift our focus from our happiness to our holiness. Because when we, when we think through the lens of holiness instead of happiness, I have, I have heaven in view. I have eternity in view. Jesus understood this. And, and in one of, one of his prayers to the Father, he expressed concern for all of us who had to live in a world that we weren't designed for. This is what he said. Jesus said, I have I've given them your word and the world has hated them. Anybody ever felt hated, disliked, persecuted? Like something wasn't all there? 
because of something you believe. Maybe you did something that was different than everybody else. Jesus says, yep, that's the way it's supposed to be. That they hate, the world hated them because they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Jesus said, people hate my followers the same, for the same reasons that they hated me. Because I live my life with eternity in view and people on the earth in the world couldn't understand that. And for all of those who will commit themselves to following me and living with eternity in their view, the world's going to hate them too. Because when you live with eternity in view, when you're more focused on holiness than happiness, things begin to change for you. Things that used to be important and used to matter, they don't matter anymore. You just, you just stop caring because they're not eternal. I just got back from the beach. We, we went to, to, to Myrtle last week. And I've heard this illustration before, and I thought it was applicable. And I, a couple of times this week, my daughters would come up with a bucket that had a dead fish in the bottom. Little fish, not nothing big. Just little fish in the bottom. Like, Look, Daddy, it's dead. I'm like, yep. <laughs> I don't, that's one of those parenting moments you don't really know what to say. Um, but let me ask you a question. If you took a fish out of the ocean and laid it on the beach, would it be happy? No. What about if you took $500,000 and you gave it to the fish on the beach, you kind of set it there next to him? Still not happy, right? Maybe if you gave him like a little, little fish lawn chair, wouldn't that be cute? Like a little fish lawn chair and you give him a little, little mini Corona and, um, you know, maybe like his favorite, you know, fish magazine or something like a little umbrella to keep him out, you know, so the sun not as hot. Happy? H- happy fish? <laughs> no. Why? Why would he not be happy? All the money, all the money he could ask for. Richest fish ever, 500 grand. I don't think any fish has ever owned that much money. But, but still unhappy, right? Why? Because it's not living where it was designed to live. It's out of the environment that it was created to exist in. That is the nature of our humanity as followers of Christ. We were created for eternity. We are eternal beings, created for eternity. And we live and exist in a world that is not our home. Jesus said it over and over in Scripture, you are not of this world. He wanted, he wanted to remind us all the time, you're not of this world. There's something higher. There's something better. There's something eternal. We have to learn to live that way. And all the money and all the stuff and all the right voca- vacations and all the right friends and all the right looks, all that stuff, it just doesn't matter. Because we weren't created for here. We were created for there. And we've got to start to learn to live that way. The, the Apostle Paul wrote more of the New Testament than anybody else, about 50% to two-thirds, depending on which scholars you listen to. And Paul had a scenario in which he found himself unhappy. And this is what he said. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. Paul said, So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation. So check this out. Paul attributed his unhappiness 
to the fact that he was getting to say and see and hear some things from God that were remarkable. And he said, so you know what God did? God helped me out to keep me from being conceited. A thorn was given me in the flesh. Not an actual thorn. Um, We don't really know what it was. There's lots of debate. A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. I love Paul's perspective. This is for my good. It's, it's good that I hurt. Three times, Paul says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. You remember the cosmic Coke machine illustration? If anybody had a right to say, hey, God, come on. Okay, can, can, you hook, can you hook a guy up? Like, oh, look, look at what I've done for you. It was Paul. Paul. Paul had all the rights to say, hey, God, look what I've done. Can I get a little help? And he did. He said, three times I pleaded with God to take this away from me. But he said to me, and I love this. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Because my power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, what God told Paul was, I need you to be weak. Because where there is weakness, where there is unhappiness, where there is discontent, oh, man, that's where my power goes on display the best. So when things are the worst, that's when God gets to show off the most. And so Paul had this conclusion in light of what God told him. He said, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. We could insert our unhappiness there so that the power of Christ may rest on me because where there is unhappiness is the power and the peace of God. That's what Paul is saying. So I'm gonna boast of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then, because of Jesus then, I am, look at this, content. Paul said, in my unhappiness, I know that, that, that God is there. So I'm just going to be happy that I'm unhappy. Isn't that weird? Isn't that, that's hard to do, right? That's pretty hard. I'm unhappy? Oh, but I know Jesus is here, so I'm going to be happy about it. Like, it sounds really good from, coming from Paul, but Paul, Paul <laughs> it's hard. But Paul said, man, I, I find contentment in my unhappiness because, man, that's when God shows up. So I'm content with weaknesses and insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. And this is the reason. For when I am weak, and that's when I'm the strongest. In my weakness, that's when God shows up the most. When I'm unhappy, that's when God has the most room to work. So, gut check time. You ready? You, you got to be real with you. And you need to examine and think through in your life right now, I hope, or over the next few minutes as we spend the rest of our time together here. What areas in your life are you sacrificing holiness for happiness? What things have you chased after? They don't have eternal significance at all. The, the Bible says, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, that God has been generous to, generous to us in every way so that we could be generous in every way. 
In other words, God, God will give us good things because he wants, to be a, he wants us to be a, a giver of good things to the world. That our happiness has a purpose. God has no problem with your happiness. But God wants you to be happy with an eternal mindset. So you've got to ask yourself, what are the things that I have done in the name of happiness that were, that were sinful or stupid, that were, that were wrong or unwise? What things am I chasing after that are just, just worldly? It just doesn't matter in eternity. You know, it's amazing the things that we can talk ourselves into in the name of happiness, isn't it? We can justify just about anything as long as we feel like it makes us happy. But when we begin to view our lives through the lens of eternity, all that changes. So that's my hope for you this week and even myself and my family as we evaluate this week. And what are the things that that we're chasing after that just, just really don't matter that much in the scope of eternity? Let's pray together. Father, I hope this morning that this message lands where you would have it to land. That God, you would impress upon each of us in a very real way. That we could identify and begin to work through the areas of our life where we have sacrificed our holiness in the pursuit of happiness. God, that's not what we want to chase after. God, we want to chase after you. Because you're the only thing that's worthy of our pursuit. And I love the promise of your word that guarantees us that, God, if we are faithful to come after you, that, God, you are faithful to respond to those who seek you. So, God, across this room this morning, I have no idea all of the hurt and the pain and the struggle and the discontent that fills each one of us. But, God, I know one thing based on the truth of your scripture, and that is this. Where we are the weakest and where there has been insult and pain and heartache, calamity, confusion, God, those are the areas that you have the most room to show up and show off. So God, I'll commit for me that I'm going to seek you the most in the times where I'm weakest. And I beg of you, God, to impress that same desire and commitment upon every person under the sound of my voice so that we can begin to live our lives in pursuit of you and eternity instead of the temporal things of this world that promise falsehood. Love you, Father. We thank you for your son, Jesus, that allows us to connect with you. It's through him we pray. Amen.